Hey everyone, I'm Justin Fiedler and this is Dirt Tracker Conversations. If you listen to my daily show, you've heard me talk a bunch about the streaming platforms in the past, and this week there is a new player entering the space. Jeremy Elliott, who owns SprintCarUnlimited.com, is partnering with past Conversations guest Mike Mallett and Dirt Track Digest to create SprintCarUnlimited.tv. Jeremy joins the show this time to talk about his new streaming venture, starting SprintCarUnlimited.com, and plenty of Sprint Car topics, including who we should be watching in Pennsylvania, what the All-Star Championship outlook looks like, why David Gravel seems to be getting left out, and a bunch more. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeremy Elliott. Jeremy, my first question right out of the gate is, am I the reason you started a daily show? Just be honest. Yes. Just tell me what it is. Yes. <laughs> Were you copying me? Be honest. Yes. <laughs> That's not what you were supposed to say. You were supposed to say no. I'm honest. I'm actually sometimes too honest. So um, <laughs> when it comes to writing, but uh, no, I actually, you know, I, I watched David Gravel uh, with the YouTube thing and it's a, it's another opportunity to expand the brand. I've seen what you've done and it just looked like a, a good thing to do to build up the subscriber base and obviously promote the website and some of the other things we were doing. So I kind of took a page out of, out of your book. You do a, a really good job with this. And, and also it's timely. Like I could write, um, you know, probably a column or an opinion piece in an hour, but I can tape that in five, six minutes. So, and I can give it out free and again, push people to the website. So was, yes, you get some credit, credit, David Gravel gets some credit. And uh, I've talked to, Dave Byro the third DB3 Incorporated. Uh, he's been trying to get me to do it for a year and a half or so. So it just, I took the plunge. Give me an idea. Like, you know, you, you, this is your full-time job now, SprintCardLimited.com. And, you yep. know, you used to write for for the paper up in, up in Harrisburg, I think. And, um, but like, what does your day look like now when, you know, are you just kind of on the phone all day? Are you writing all day? Like, give me an idea of what your kind of standard day looks like. Well, you know, people probably think I get up at noon. My co-host on the podcast, Ryan Hand, thinks I get up at noon. Uh, no, I get up. Uh, I usually can't sleep past 730. So uh, just because of my days uh, years and years ago, it's kind of ingrained in me. So I wake up and I start checking social media, uh, start checking the website, a lot, just a lot of seeing what's going on in case I miss something overnight. Uh, then it's usually on the phone. I spend a good part of my day on the phone, uh, either getting stories or, or getting things that I can't write, which really sucks. <laughs> I have to have to say that. Uh, so, uh, you know, I just spend a lot of time on the phone. Usually that goes until about 2.30. I go see my daughter for about two hours and I come back and it's basically the same thing. And it's whether it's writing or being on the phone, it's, it's something usually that's always involved in racing. And it, Sometimes doesn't end until on a weekday, doesn't end until about 10, 11 o'clock at night. And on the weekends during racing season, it usually doesn't end until about 3 a.m. When you are working for the newspaper and, and you know, you, tell me about like the kind of thought process of, of getting away from the newspaper and, and starting your own thing and, and, you know, all of the work and, and thoughts like, you know, how quickly, you know, too, did it take before you were like comfortable making that move? Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious of that whole kind of transition process from the paper to SprintCardLimited.com. For me, usually my best decisions are split second or come with very little thought. And it's because it's, 
yes, that can be impulsive, but then again, uh, it's usually what has served me well. So at the newspaper, I was doing, I was covering uh, the NFL. I covered a lot of different sports ranging from field hockey to racing. And that changed at various times over the years. So I was sitting at a, a state girls field hockey game and some stuff was going on in racing that I couldn't do. And I felt that that was a problem because racing was more of a main beat. You, as you know, the, the newspaper business, they started just kind of, uh, cutting back and asking the guys there to do more, which is fine. I'm okay with that, but it took away from my, my main beats. So I was sitting at a game and I'm just like, you know, this is crap. Uh, I, I you know, and, and another night, uh, Dale Blaney, uh, I was on the phone with him at a state soccer game, which I don't like soccer. And I, in fact, it's the sport I, I dislike the most to cover. So <laughs> I'm sitting there on the phone with him and I I'm kind of writing this Dale Blaney story about it was a Zemco car and all the stuff going on there. And I was watching this game and it just got to be too much. So I, one day in November, I, I was sitting at uh, home and I just said, you know what, it's time to take the plunge. We're going to take the risk. And then I was at PRI uh, like, and actually the final decision was made about two weeks later. I was on the phone with Colton Gauss. Uh, who is the general manager of Babs Motor Speedway. And he said, hey, why don't you come to PRI? And I said, that's it. I'm going to do it. And then I went to PRI. Who, uh, as you kind of make that transition and try to get the site off the ground and things like that, who are people you kind of leaned on for advice? Um, well, there really wasn't many people as far as sprint car racing to lean on about that. I talked to Michael Rigsby once uh, about it, but very brief. Uh, after that, it was it was just... You know, I went to a, a company outside of racing to get the site built. Uh, I thought it was important to to go do that outside of racing uh, because they had knowledge that I didn't have. And then the rest was just, hey, this is what I want on the site and this is what I want it to be. And I honestly can say that it's still not quite where I want it to be. It's kind of like building a house. You build the house and then after it's built, you realize four or five things that maybe you do differently. So it's always a work in progress. SprintCarUnlimited.com is is obviously behind a paywall and, and you know, you've got some sponsors and advertisers and things like that too. But how did you put that model together? How do you decide on pricing? Like, you know, what, what were all of those things that went into that? Well, and that, and that was difficult. Uh, I wanted to be cheaper than some of the trade papers. And I feel being specialized with SprintCarUnlimited.com, uh, you know, I think you go to a trade paper, you get a lot of things. I just wanted to focus on sprint car racing. And so I wanted to be cheaper than the trade papers. And it's actually dropped. It was 50 bucks initially. Now it's 45. And I've changed the pricing here and there. And it, it's just trial and error. I didn't want to soak people. I know some sites are, you know, $100. I know some are $75. I just wanted to make it affordable uh, where they could get good, reliable information. You know, I talked to my father about it and I kind of asked him, Hey, what, what would you pay for a site? He, I said, it's 50 bucks too much. He goes, no, you know, so then it just kind of morphed into that and I've dropped it down to 45 now and you could see another drop real soon. 
What about your kind of like network of, of people that help you do things? Like I know you've got photographers and I know you've got some different writers, you know, is, is that something you always wanted to do was kind of expand out and have other people contribute? Or is that something that's just kind of happened organically as you've built the site? Well, you, you definitely need photographers. Uh, I've taken pictures before and that's fine, but I'm, I'm a writer and it's kind of, uh, I'm sure, you know, it's tough to wear 14 hats at a race. So you're, you're going to take away and the product's going to suffer. Uh, you know, it's just friendships, relationships. Uh, I like to pay people uh, because I think in this industry, people don't get paid enough, even if it's a little bit. Um, you know, I, I wish I could do more in that regard right now. I just can't. And uh, it's not quite where I want to be. That's a big, big one that isn't where I want it to be. But people have called me up and asked me to do stuff. And I've said, sure. Uh, and I, I kind of like Jacob Hoard in Ohio. I wanted somebody in Ohio. It's a big market. I think it's an untapped market. So I brought him on. He's very raw. It's not what he does for a living. He, he doesn't have training, but I can work with that. He works hard. And I care more about somebody who works hard and who's willing to maybe learn how, how to kind of be a reporter. Uh, that's more important to me. I can teach somebody how to write uh, or give advice. Uh, you, effort is a hard thing to teach. So, you know, I'm always looking for people. Um, that's, that's always a work in progress. How do you balance the, you know, the, the kind of race day stuff in terms of like what races you're going to go to versus what races you're going to watch on pay-per-view? Like, are you able to like to watch everything? Are you watching things on demand? Like, how do you kind of balance all of those things? Well, first off, I hate the idea of writing from pay-per-view. Uh, as an old time newspaper guy, I'm 49, I, I guess it's not old time, but, uh, as a newspaper guy, I, I hate the idea that, that publications write from pay-per-view. Uh, I had to do it from, uh, Florida this year. I had some family stuff I had to take care of. I despise it. I hate it. It's not something that's going to be done regularly on my website. It's just something I don't believe in. Uh, so when I get, it's all about going to the races. Uh, how do I determine where I go is based on the event, uh, obviously, the big events, you have to be there. Kings Royal, Knoxville, Charlotte uh, for the World Finals. I go to Let's Race 2 at Eldora to hit some of the wingless crowd. Uh, obviously, all the races uh, around Central PA. I'm still trying to get the Trophy Cup. That's a job, it seems like. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been to 360 Nationals and other ones. you got to hit the big events. That's what drives the, the model. And also when I'm around here, it's, you try and give everybody a little bit of love. You try and bounce back and forth between Lincoln and Port Royal on a Saturday night based on the show that's, you know, the pay or, or how big the show is, or, Hey, I've been at Port Royal two weeks. I need to go to Lincoln now. And everything else is just going to go into the, you know, Friday night at Williams Grove. If there's a Sunday race somewhere, you got to be there. Uh, or during the week, you, you just, if there's no conflict, there's no decision. You just go. What are those things in terms of content that you're not doing at SprintCarLimited.com that you would like to do in the future? More. More. <laughs> I guess, you know, what I'd like, how I envision this turning out when I can look at it and go, which anybody that knows me, satisfaction is not something that comes easy for me. Uh, I could write the best story ever and I, I'll pick it apart. And I'm, I'm very critical. Uh, personally. So, but if I, if I was going to have the site, the way I want it, where I look at it and go, okay, it's where exactly where I want it is the streaming part. That's one uh, avenue, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. 
And then I want every area of the country covered. I want a writer in California. I want a writer in the Midwest. And I want a writer in Ohio. I want a writer uh, with ASCS. And then, of course, I'll be every, you know, everywhere to, to where I can get. So that's kind of ideally what I want. That's hard to do. There, you know, I, I think people think writers grow in trees. Uh, they don't. It's, it's not, you know, good writers are hard to find. And I, and I want this. I, I, I'd like to help people do that. Not saying I'm the, the best writer in the country. I'm saying I have a lot of experience with, with other sports and, and I'd like to give that. And if I can help somebody else uh, become a better writer, I'll, I'll do that. Like one of the reasons I started my own site is, you know, I, I think there is a, a big enough market for all of these things. I think there is, you know, business for all of this. And, and I, you know, I want to help elevate it as much as I can, you know, across the board. But from your perspective, as somebody who is running a site that people pay for and who's jumping into streaming now, what do you think of kind of the market size and, and the business? Like, you know, is it possible to to make a decent living and cover racing in this country, a dirt racing in this country? It's very difficult. Uh, I think depends what division you're covering. If you're covering late models, uh, it's been done. Michael Rigsby's turned that into a, a dirt on dirt into a monster. Um, and, and credit to him for the way he's done it. And he did it so far ahead of everybody else. And I think that helped tremendously. Sprint car racing's different. It's tough. Uh, pe- people might think that I'm making all kinds of money. I can tell you I'm in a 650 square foot apartment. Uh, it's, 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 it's difficult because there's a lot of free stuff out there. And I think sometimes fans, it's tough to differentiate between good, accurate, and maybe just something I'm, I'm going to look at, look at on Facebook. Plus you're battling the PR machine. Now more teams are picking up PR guys and, and PR firms. So you're battling that. There's just a lot of, of stuff there to go against when you're in sprint car racing. So it's tough. Uh, I'm, I'm, Okay, but it could definitely be better. And and the way you got to do that is you got to diversify. You got to give people more. Tell me about the streaming stuff. I, I talked about it this morning on the Daily Show. Your you know your announcement comes out. You're going to partner with Mike Mallet. Start yep. SprintCarUnlimited.tv. Tell me about the thought process to to advance or, or you know to expand into streaming and and why that's you know why you think that's a good place to go. Well, I don't think streaming's going away. Some people might think that it was a COVID thing, but it's not a COVID thing. This is this is something that's going to be here. Uh, I talked to Mike Mount about two months ago, and his model works great in the modified arena. And I'd like to bring it to sprint cars. It, it's different than the subscription model, which I'm I'm sure is going to get some blowback, and that's fine. Uh, I understand it. Uh, you know, the subscription model is very fan friendly, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, the racetracks could do, be doing better. And that's where our focus is. We want to drive people to the grandstands because if, at the end of the day, if people aren't in the grandstands, the tracks aren't going to make money no matter how much money they make off pay-per-view. Uh, you know, you can't buy hot dogs, hamburgers, and French fries sitting on your couch. So the racetracks have got to do well. And our model is very geared towards racetracks. It's $1.99 more than the general admission price for a reason. Our first priority is to drive people to the racetracks. And we're a secondary outlet for them to, to take in the races if, say, they're states away. It's uh, 40 degrees out and they can't go. Or uh, something else. Maybe uh, they, they have a prior commitment up until 7 o'clock and they can't get to the races because it's an hour drive and they can, they can pop us on. So 
you know, we just wanted to to do something for the racetracks uh, while still trying to remain remain fan friendly with um, with some of the things we're going to do for our broadcast that I, you know, we'll see when, when they roll around, there's some things I have a vision of what I want the broadcast to look like. And I don't want it to be traditional to what you see now. So, um, you know, it was just that, and it's just another revenue stream. Obviously, uh, I have the website. You want to cover all your bases. You want to have advertisers and you want to be good to them. You want to provide a site for the fans where they can get good at accurate information. No rumors. I don't do rumors. Um, and they get that for a, a very affordable price. And also then the streaming uh, for that end as well. So you just want to cover all your bases as a business and, and have a total media company. Uh, I, I'm going to ask this question. I, I don't want it to sound like it's disrespect to Mike Mallett because I, I certainly am a big fan of Mike. I had him on the show not long ago. But yep. in terms of partners, why is Mallet the guy to partner with here? I know you have some connections to some other people in the streaming world. Mm-hmm. So, so why Mallet and, and why with him? You know, Mike Mallett and I know each other for quite a while. Uh, he'll, he'll make the joke that I used to make fun of him, uh, for driving four hours down to Susquehanna. I, I called him a, uh, well, I called him dumb because <laughs> he's a teacher and he'd drive back then <laughs> that night. So, uh, but Mike Mallett and I have a very good relationship and it's his model. I really believe is in his model. Uh, I, I think for racetracks, uh, you know, and it, it's, it's funny because I've been critical of some racetracks and I've been complimentary of some racetracks, but at the end of the day, uh, we've got to all work together to, to make the industry thrive. And if I can help racetracks through streaming off his model, uh, which he, I think he's done a great uh, job with that model and, and building it up and the passion he has, it's not just about money. Uh, he, uh, he's done a good job with it and I liked it. And, uh, if I like something, I'll endorse it and I, and I want to be a part of it. It's. I feel like it's not really a secret that you've kind of been critical at times of of the streaming stuff and the revenue and the shares and all of that type of thing. Yep. Why is it such a big deal for you to share with the racetracks and and you know what is the feedback that you get from racetracks when you approach them about doing a streaming deal with them? Well, first off, if there's if there's no racetracks, how's there going to be racing? So, my job or our job at SprintCarUnlimited.tv, which is powered by Dirt Track Digest TV. Our job is to make the racetracks money. Uh, yeah, sure. We want to get paid too. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, <laughs> this isn't free, but the racetracks get a, a very healthy percentage of, of what we make. And uh, we feel over a certain amount of races that we can make the racetracks more than what they get. So that's why that's important. They got to make money because if they don't make money, they don't have races. The teams don't make money. The fans don't have enjoyment. And it just doesn't work. So the racetracks like it. I mean, obviously one of the concerns is because of the subscription model being so cheap for fans, will they buy it? Uh, the numbers so far, I've ran some numbers at certain tracks and uh, the answer is yes. Uh, there have been other pay-per-view companies have it, who have used the, the per race model, which I guess is the proper way to say it the per race model and have been okay with it and have gotten decent numbers where we can make the tracks uh, some decent money. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that you can't really do the subscription model if everybody else is doing it too. That's kind of a, a, you know, the extra or the addition to that. You you can't really, you don't want to do the same thing. So it's just a different option for racetracks. We have 18 races so far and we're looking to get more. So uh, there's a couple tracks that have, have uh, 
who, who believe in our model. There's tracks who believe in our model who maybe won't go with, with it just because they have to answer to other people. So uh, we'll see how it, how it takes off. How is this going to be in terms of like logistics? Are you, I mean, are you going to be helping with stream stuff? Or are you kind of leaving that to Mallet's people? Like, how is that going to break down? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be a working partner. Uh, so let's say we have a race at one track and I, I need to go to a race somewhere else because it's a bigger event. I'm going to go to the racetrack that we have pay-per-view at one o'clock in the afternoon and, and help set everything up. And then I'm going to fly and go, but we will have a producer there. We will have camera people there. We will have people in place who can get stuff done. And I'm putting a team together to do that. And that's another thing too, uh, is putting a team together and, and you're only as good as your team. And they're only as good as, as, as I can be as somebody who can help give guidance. So uh, they, obviously you want to be present. Uh, you don't really believe in something if, if the people who developed it aren't around. So uh, either I or, or Mallet will be there, or we will have somebody a producer there, and I'll, I'll be there for as long as I can, and then go say to Port Royal or or Lincoln if I have to. And if not, I will stay there. You could see me doing some pit reporting. You could see me doing uh, some producing. You could see me doing uh, whatever is necessary to make it successful. But it's not going to take away from the website, and that's critical. Uh, Mallet and I have talked, and and he knows that. I still have to do the website. So I still have to write. I still have to do all these things, which again, this opens up opportunities, opportunities to expand the team as far as writers as well with sprintcarunlimited.com. Well, and, and I hate to tell you, but Mallet told me on his show that he gives out his phone number for tech support. So you have to do that too. If, if he's doing it, you got to do it. I give out my cell phone to everybody. So uh, it is a working phone and personal phone as well. So, hey, anybody who's ever had a question or wanted to yell at me or anything else, it's right on the site. You can do it. It's, it's fine. How like give me an example of of uh, of a time you got yelled at? I I know uh, when my when, <laughs> when my uh, well, just give me one. But for for example, like my my brother wrote something when he was a PR guy for the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series, and something had happened with McCarl, uh, Terry McCarl, and Terry came up to him the next day and confronted him about it, and and uh, he said, Terry, did I say anything that didn't happen? Well, no. Well, was there anything that was inaccurate? Well, no. So what are you mad about? And he said, Terry was like, okay, yeah, you're right. And then and left him alone <laughs> about it. But give me an example of a time that you got blasted for something that you wrote. Well, I'll give you two because the one's epic. It happened when I almost first started writing. Deval Dressler, who is, uh, ran the 358 series, uh, the Cars series in Pennsylvania. I, he was at Silver Spring. So you know how long ago it was, the, the series there. And they just couldn't complete laps. I got mad and wrote a column how their, his drivers couldn't complete laps. The, the, you know, the uh, terrible, whatever it was. Boy, he found me in the pit area. And Jerry Regal, who was kind of my mentor, anybody who, who long time sprint car fan knows who Jerry Regal was. Uh, obviously, he passed away, but uh, he ratted me out to Deval. <laughs> <laughs> and Deval is this big guy, he comes up, he gets about this far away from me, and he's yelling and screaming. Uh, just, oh, just laying into me. Everybody in the pit area stopped. The Val can yell. And I couldn't even, I really, I couldn't yell back at him because in my line of work, I believe you just go, I'm sorry, you didn't like it, <laughs> you know, or, or, Hey, was I factually wrong? Like, like, uh, like your brother did. Um, and to this day, Deval and I talk. So I want him back. 
somewhere along the line. Uh, another one's Kerry Massey. Kerry Madsen was mad at me once because I, uh, and it wasn't about him necessarily. He was mad at me down in Charlotte because I wrote about the provisional system. Uh, it happened to Williams Grove, and uh, I think it was him and Joey Saldana, and, a, and another person got provisionals, and they ran like the C main. And <laughs> I, I, I just don't like it. I think you get what you earn, and, and that's it. I get that they're protecting their guys. So I went down to Charlotte. This was uh, after the National Open. And uh, I walked up, hey, Kerry, how you doing? And, and it was about next, the next year. And he said, I don't know if I want to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. And, and you got to remember, I forget what I write. I mean, when you write 450 stories a year, you tend to forget some stuff. And I, I'm just looking, I'm going, well, why? And he said, well, you called my team mediocre. And I went, no, your performance was mediocre. <laughs> it's, there's a difference. I said, I think you have a good team. You've won the Kings Royal, you've won the Ironman, you won whatever. And, uh, you know, we, we agreed to disagree about the provisional system. And that's fine. And, and I'm good with that. I'm not always right. I'm not one of these people who thinks I'm always right. Uh, you may say something today and I go, eh, you know, that's a good point. But, um, you know, we talk to this day. So, it, look, if I found out if you're fair, you don't make things personal. That's a big thing. And you, you, you just stick to the facts. And if you want to base opinion off those facts, that's fine. But you got to be factual. That's the most important thing. In, in talking about the provisionals, actually, this is a, a good transition because this is kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about. You actually did a daily show about the provisional stuff. And mm-hmm. this kind of came out of the James McFadden thing about him you know, mm-hmm. not being here and all of that. And I'm curious, like, what is it about the provisional thing that bothers you? I feel like with the outlaws, you know, except for world finals and dirt car nationals where the guys get unlimited, you get two in the first half of the year and two in the second half of the year. And, and like, I feel like you hear about people saying, it's like, well, you know, guys like Donnie, Brad, Logan, like those guys aren't going to need those provisionals. Like very rarely are you even going to see those guys in a B main at all. (laughs) So it's like, it's not going to affect the championship. And then, you know, so you hear people say, but what about guys that are eighth or ninth in points? And it's like, do we like, does it really matter when we get down to the guys that are eighth and ninth in points, whether they take a provisional a couple of times a year? Like, I just, I don't understand the, the, you know, the dislike of the provisional system. And on some level, I get it. It's competition. You know, you want guys to earn their spot in, but like, but is it really hurting anyone to have a couple of provisionals a year? Does Tom Brady get a provisional if he lost the Super Bowl? But we're not talking about the Super. That's what I'm saying. Like but, with, with, with Donnie and Brad and those guys, like you don't see it. They're like Brad didn't win a championship because he got a provisional. Like no one's winning a championship because they got a provisional. Yes, but if you, and you know all too well what they pay in the world of outlaw point standings. It could mean that for a guy who's eighth and ninth, it obviously means money or it could mean money. Um, look, I understand. Here's my, here's my big divide on it. Now, it used to be worse when you got more. Mm-hmm. So when they made that transition to two, I can accept it now. Now I'm okay. I'm, I'm not as you know, adamant about it as I used to be because, because they did cut it back a little bit. However, we keep saying about this being a sport, okay? And I've covered other sports. I've been in other sports. And you could say, well, it's not like that. Well, maybe it should be. Maybe you should get what you earn. And you're right. Donnie. Brad, although Donnie, didn't Donnie take one last year? Did he take one last year? There was, I remember a California race in recent years where he yeah, was over somewhere it, and needed one yeah, to get in. Yeah. I mean, is it going to affect the point title? No. And you're right about that. Um, and like I said, I've, I've softened on it since they've made some changes to it. Um, I'm just big on you get what you earn. 
and it's it's a generational thing probably because you know growing up there were no second chances i mean they get a lot of chances they have and now with the with the format i think the format the world battle format to me is the best i love it uh, they've done a great job with it you, you time trial you you get what you earn and in the heat race you get what you earn you can race forward you can race to the dash you could time last race to the dash then if you don't make it you get this you know the alphabet what it however depending on how many cars are there you get chances do we need another chance I mean, how many, when's the end? When's that end? You know, I just, you know, I just, it's just one of those things that it, it comes getting what you earn. I mean, I understand your thought process and I understand, and I'm not as hard about it as I used to be because I do only get two. In, in terms of, and I, I guess, you know, the, the provisionals that I have a problem with is like the track provisionals, like where a local guy will get oh, into yeah. a feature. Like I can see it with the outlaw guys or, with, you know, if you're a full-timer with a tour, because like, you know, you are earning that you're out there all season right. long, you're putting in the miles, but like a guy at a track who gets a provisional, like I, I, I definitely don't like that because you haven't done that. Like, why do you get a free pass in just because you race at a track? Like that stuff I don't understand, but, but I do get your point there. And, and I guess the other question that we talked about, like you talked about the outlaw format is, I feel like that formats and dirt racing are just entirely way too complicated. Like the outlaw oh, yeah. format, the outlaw format is as simple <laughs> yeah. as it gets, and even it's yep. complicated at times. But when you start bringing in inversions and passing points and all of these <laughs> things, I don't know how. Like I've been in around dirt racing now, like basically in a full time capacity for going on eight years. And like, I don't understand half of the things that are going on. So how can you expect somebody who's a new fan to know what's going on? And, and like Pennsylvania, I feel like is a perfect example of that with some of the inversions and stuff like that. But like, are we doing ourselves any favors with these ridiculous formats? Look, racing has a, a habit of not doing favors for itself. <laughs> in my, and look, I think simplistic is, is better. I mean, look, you know why? And I'm sure you, you're well aware, NASCAR doesn't penalize guys after the race because they want people that when they leave the racetrack, they know who won. It's as simple as that. So yeah, you're right. I, the formats, there's, there's too many of them. They're, they're too complicated. You need an abacus and a slide roll to figure it out. You're sitting in the stands with your buddy. Look, just how, you know, I, I want to be able to, okay, that guy won. He's going to the dash, you know, besides the outlaw format, just giving you what you earn, which is a big thing with me. Uh, but no, you're right. Uh, I think there's too many formats. I wish there was more standard formats. Um, my co-host and I, Ryan Hango, had it uh, numerous times on the podcast about different formats. I don't like inversions simply because in this day and age of equality uh, and and parity, which is death to racing, um, parity is not good for racing because you can't pass, especially on the half miles we have here. So uh, it shows up at like a Williams Grove more so than it does at a Hopstad or someplace like that. So formats, you got to be very, very, very careful with formats to, to get good racing, but you don't want to manufacture good racing because usually if you're trying to manufacture good racing, it doesn't work. The other thing that I'm, that I'm kind of curious your thoughts on in terms of formats is like these events on the schedule between all, all the different, you know, especially open wheel series where it's a different format. So we give show up points only it's the Knoxville nationals. It's yeah. the Kings Royal. Like I am of the opinion that if you race pay points, 
Like, I don't, I don't want a guy see a guy that won a race, get 90 points as the same as the guy that finished 24th got 90 points. Like if it, if it's big enough that you're going to put on an event, pay points for the whole thing. Like, where do you stand on show up points versus full points? All I care is that it's consistent. Like last year, the, the Capitani, they went full points, but they normally don't for events like that. And it's invitation only. And it just normally for those types of events, they have show up points, but last year they didn't because of number. I just want consistency because they did, they had show up points for the Jackson national. So I just want consistency show up points. I don't get too bent out of shape. It's kind of one of those things like, uh, is that the thing that's going to make you write something? Uh, no, probably not. I just want consistency across the board. So I'm okay. If there are points, full points, I'm okay. If the Knoxville nationals are full points, I'm okay if any race is full points, but I'm also okay uh, if it's show up points, as long as the Kings Royal then with the heat inversions and, and how they do that is show up points. Don't make one and not the other because then you're being selective. And then it affects things more because you have guys who are better at Eldor and guys who are better at Knoxville. Or you're Donnie Schatz and you're good everywhere except Hopstock. So, so, or California. But so I just, I just care that consistency is the key for me. Uh, kind of shifting gears to the outlaws, uh, you know, talking about the championship this year and, and who are the guys to look at, you know, we saw this week, you know, uh, open red puts out an, an episode of the podcast talking to the big three, you know, Donnie, Brad, Logan, um, you know, you've talked about this a lot on, on your various shows. Why are we not talking about David gravel more? Like, why has he not like, why is it the big three and not the big four? Like, how is he not in this conversation? Like if he doesn't miss those races last year, like he is right yeah. there within maybe a point or two, maybe wins this thing. So like, why is he not in the conversation? You know, I don't know. And I think David, and here's the ironic part. If I was giving the big three and sprint car race and the elite, the guys that I think are elite, the three drivers aren't the three drivers running for the outlaw title. It's, it's uh, Brad Sweet, Donnie Schatz, and David Gravel. Logan's getting close. I'm not saying Logan's not good. I'm, but why David Gravel doesn't get consideration? I don't know. If maybe it's because it's a new team. Maybe because we're prisoners of the moment and we have short-term memories. And last year he... He wasn't in the point battle because he missed a couple races. Maybe people just don't process that uh, and view him as a contender. Maybe it's uh, does Cody Jacobs and, and David gel. I don't know. I don't know how you get four fourth place finishes. If you would have bet that in Vegas, that had to go off at 10,000 to one, mm -hmm. you know, down at Volusia. So I think David's in it. I think David's a contender. David times. Well, I think David's a, a really, really, really good driver. And, also, I think he's gotten a lot better at being a guy who can come into the pit area and communicate with the crew chief what he needs, what's comfortable, what's going on with the car. So I think he's a complete package. I have no clue why people wouldn't keep him or put him in that mix. As we kind of look back on Volution and, you know, with your experience covering the sport, how much can we really take away from what happened at Volusia? You know, you hear all the time about like, you know, the, the engine issues that always happen there and the yeah. guys, you know, they don't take it as seriously because it doesn't really reflect on the rest of the season. But as fans, when we look back at that stuff, how seriously should we take the results that came out of there? I think more so than before, because look, last year, the, the three winners down there were the top three in points. I mean, that, that stat doesn't lie. Uh, Donnie Schatz always does well at Volusia. Always in the top three. Last year, I think it was the first year since 2004, he wasn't first or second. Uh, Brad Sweet, really good at evolution, gets off to a good start. He's your two-time defending champion. So I think it's changing. I think 
maybe before, maybe three, four years ago. Um, probably not so much. Uh, Danny Dietrich will tell you he can't use any of the notes that he had from last year and this year, which were far and away his best Volusia and Durkar national appearances ever. Uh, he can't use any of that back here. But I think there's a measure of confidence. I think there's a measure of getting out of there in a good spot. I know David Gravel, I talked to him after Volusian. He was ecstatic about getting out of there as good as he did. Because normally he Volusia's can be hit or miss. He's won there, but there's times he's had motor trouble there. So I think it's getting more important, but I don't think it's the end-all be-all. What do you think about Donnie Schatz and, and that team kind of going forward? It seems like between the switchover from Ricky to Scuba plus the Ford engine stuff, like he just hasn't been the same Donnie that we saw obviously the previous decade or decade and a half um, in the last couple of years. And, I, and I'm wondering if, you know, we're not seeing maybe a similar effect of like, a, you know, like a Tiger Woods situation, right? Where when he's on tour winning all the time, guys are almost afraid to go up against him. And he like, he probably yeah. won even more of that. And it's like, is the same true with Donnie? Like where guys maybe like a little afraid to challenge him because he was so good. And maybe now they're not because he, shown to be a little more human than we thought he was? Uh, I have him to win the points this year. Um, I think the, the biggest problem Donnie Schatz has had is the Ford Motor Program. They made him do it from the ground up. He, they, there's some changes they had to make uh, to it for to, I guess, be able to be used. And Toyota doesn't have to go through that because it's basically a Chevy block. So I think Ford was at a real, real disadvantage you know, through this development stage. Shaver's involved now. I think we've seen, I mean, Donnie was going to win his 300th win evolution until the mag went. So I, I think we're past that. I think he's going to win double digit races this year. I just think it was a lull in, in what they were trying to do and develop that four motor program program. I do think Brad, I watch Brad sweet now and I see Donnie shots, watch him race. He races the same way. It's almost like, he, and he's, he's admitted that he's watched film of Donnie from Knoxville and what he's had to do to win that race and, and really be good there. I think Brad has, I have, I don't think Brad has any fear of running against Donnie. I think that has helped obviously. And Hey, he can be beat. There's probably a little bit of that from a psychological standpoint, but I don't think Donnie shots has diminished in any way. I just think it was a, a Ford motor program. And with Donnie, do you think that like, you know, one of the things I feel like we've seen here in the last couple of years, especially like with guys like Larson coming in, Larson drives mm -hmm. so damn hard when he's in, in oh. a race. Yeah. Does it, is it a disadvantage for Donnie that he's so clean? And it's like, it's one of the things I've always respected about Donnie is like, Donnie will not, yes. you know, he doesn't feed right rears. He doesn't run over people, but like at a certain point when everybody else ramps up the aggression, like, is it a disadvantage for him to not be that way? Well, sure. It, it, he lost the Knoxville Nationals to Jason Johnson because of that. It wasn't that if you watch the last two laps, and I was impressed with what Jason did. I'm not I, I'm not diminishing that. I was more impressed with what Donnie did over the last two laps. He was a he was probably three quarters of a straightaway back and made it up. He started driving over the berm and three and four and hopping it, and he almost got him at the end. You're right though. Donnie does he doesn't race like that. And I'll tell you what, the competition better be. Glad he doesn't because he could and probably should sometimes. I saw him be a little more aggressive last year's Silver Cup, and he outdrove Larson and outdrove Sweet. I'm not going to say he had the better car, but he outdrove him. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing with Donnie is, and, and the advantage Kyle Larson, Kyle Larson's great. I'm not taking anything away. 
but he doesn't have to race there. Mm-hmm. Like he can race three outlaw shows. If he trashes something, he can go away and come back two weeks later. Donnie can't do that. I think Donnie always looks at big picture. Uh, I think he looks at his guys and putting it back together. And, you know, and, and I just, like you said, I just don't think he drives that way, but if he did, uh, he'd probably have twice as many wins. And looking at the all-stars this year, I know this is something you've talked about on your daily show in terms of like who can win the championship. And, and it seems like Marks, Elias, and probably the top, and then maybe a guy like Courtney is kind of behind them. But my concern for like, and not concerned, but it's like, when you look around, it seems like it's completely wide open. And like, you know, we've seen Elias and do well here the last couple of years up against Reitzel, you know, even had an outside shot towards the end of last year, but like he has some consistency issues at times. Brett Marks has some consistency issues at times. Like when was the last time we saw a championship chase for any major sprint car series that was this completely wide open? Well, the outlaws this year. <laughs> but, but I feel like the outlaw thing is different, right? The outlaw thing is like it's wide open because there's so many really, really good guys. Yeah, whereas, yeah, they have the, the top All-Stars, seven guys in the country. Yeah, the All Stars I feel like is just wide open because you just don't know what to expect. Yeah, and no, and the big thing uh, when I break down the All Stars is obviously Eliason's the heir apparent, the rights always finished second to him. Uh, needs to be more consistent, like you said. Uh, Brent Marks is time trial issues. I, I, I can't figure that out I, I i don't think barry jackson can figure it out i don't think brent can figure that out uh, but it doesn't hurt them as much in all-star events because of their format and we go back to the formats so yeah i don't know what to expect there i do think it's a three horse race i do think but i think tyler courtney's in the mix i think tyler courtney's a really really good driver i think he's other than buddy Cofoid, uh even though he he ran wing stuff uh coming back and to the wing stuff and being able to contend for a title like that. I think Tyler Courtney's the only guy who can do that. And I've been really impressed with what they've been able to do in a short amount of time, especially last year at Port Royal, we wrote about uh, him running all-stars this year. And this, this could be a guy to watch. So uh, it's a three horse race and I, I, it's tough to break down. Who's going to take that. I'll let you go here pretty quick. I want to know what your thoughts are on Pennsylvania this year. What do you, you know, who are we, is it Dietrich? You know, is it Freddie Raymer again? Like, you know, who are the guys that we really need to kind of keep an eye on in Pennsylvania this year? You said it. It's Danny Dietrich, Freddie Raymer, Lance DeWeese, um, Anthony Macri. And, and each one has a, you know, can Danny Dietrich stay on top? Uh, Freddie Raymer, does he get the double digit wins? And can he continue kind of that string of winning track titles? He won the Williams Grove title and Lincoln title last year and i think you could see dietrich maybe run for it this year and not go to port royal as much uh and then you have anthony macri how much does he travel does does he continue to climb that ladder so to speak yes it seems like sometimes it's feast or famine with him except outside of port royal but i was really impressed with him how he won at baps last year he won at sealands grove again outside of the comfortable comfortable confines of port royal hasn't won at the grove yet in a 410 which is surprising uh, so each one has something different. Lance DeWeese is only going to run 35 times, 35 to 40. When he runs, he's going to be in the top five or he's going to be winning. So what we're missing here now is that young talent. We don't have the young talent, say, California has with a Corey Day, J.J. Hickel, uh, some of the other guys out, Caleb uh, Henry Montgomery out there. They have a lot of young talent and really are producing the best young talent in the country. We're not even close to that. And I think that's one of the things we're lacking, which is why we have four guys at the top and uh, the rest are just kind of getting a win here and there. 
What do you think about Macri? Like in, in terms of like what the future holds from him, it seems like he's out traveling more doing, trying to get more experience. Like, is he a guy that you think is going to go be an all-star, go be a full-time outlaw? Or do you think he's going to guy that's going to be more like Dietrich or somebody like that, that sticks around Pennsylvania? I think that's yet to be determined. I, I would have, I would have put him on the all-star tour this year. Uh, once Reitzel left, I think Macri could be in that mix. Uh, obviously uh, Jim Shuttlesworth is the crew chief. And I, I think he's going to retire from his job soon if he hasn't already. So I think that comes into play there uh, as well. So uh, I think Anthony Macri could end up traveling at some point. I know that's what he wants to do. Um, but as we know, things got to align. Uh, you you, you got to kind of stay focused on that. You, I think he's young yet. I think he needs to kind of be a, a little more focused at times. Uh and then he, he can do that. But I thought maybe he'd go all-star racing this year. I would have been fine with that. I thought that would have been a good move. And uh, I don't know. You might be able to, you might see him run all-stars next year, as early as next year. Um, are you having fun doing this, Jeremy? I feel like sometimes <laughs> you get a little curmudgeon on us. And I'm wondering if you're having a good time. You know what? It, it's not that I'm curmudgeon. It's just I cover cover it for what it is. It's a real sport. So sometimes... It's not all happy, joy, joy, rainbows and unicorns uh, like the Bristol. It's entertainment, I- Jeremy. It's supposed to be fun. Exactly. So you also got to make it real. <laughs> so look, the Bristol thing's a perfect example. I'm surprised you didn't ask me about that. Uh, I got some comments because I said they don't belong there. They don't belong there. Uh, if we're going to talk about safety, they don't belong there. That's fact. That's not, you know, that's not me being a curmudgeon. It's just me. That's what I believe. Uh, look, I do enjoy it. Uh, or I wouldn't do it. I'm the kind of guy that uh, I have a lot of passion for it. When I write something that's critical, uh, like the outlaws is a perfect example. And I'm sure you, you have been in some of those things where people have been mad in that building. But one thing I like is Chris Dolak always said I was fair. I can criticize you one minute and then I'm going to come out the next minute and say the world of outlaws had the best product by far in the country. And there is no doubt about that. They do. It, the racing's better. Uh, so I it's just about being fair for me. I do have a good time doing it. I do like what I do. I love to write. I love to create stuff. Um, I don't try and, and despite what anybody thinks, I don't try and create controversy. I don't believe in it. I simply say what I mean. And, and look, I trust me, I hold back <laughs> on some stuff. So uh, yeah, I have a lot of fun doing it and I hope to be doing it uh, until the day that uh, I retire or, or can't write anymore, but I don't, I don't see that day coming. Uh, at any point. I'm not going to come at you about Bristol because I feel like you're not too far off base. I, I agree that it should be invite only, um, but I see both sides yeah. of the coin about being there. I, I think it's, I think the prestige of it and and the talk and, you know, the fans wanting it, I think that's too big of a draw for them to not go there um, in terms of like the racing we're going to get and, and the product. I, you know, I don't know how good it's going to be. Um, so I, I can certainly see both sides of the coin, but um, as we go forward, when are we going to hear more about sprintcarlimited.tv, the schedule, what's next where can people sign up kind of give me all that elevator pitch stuff well uh, i'm actually going to release uh our 18 races today there'll be two releases Uh, we have two tracks that have come on board for for their events and uh so we're going to take we're going to take care of that today uh you just sign up the day of the event or the day before you know purchase purchase the race Uh, i think right now as of now our first race will be march 20th so uh, you can uh, figure out who that is, but uh, you know we're going to have different releases through, throughout the throughout the season 
throughout the season. They start today. And you could see uh, something come out of this that benefits the racers because as, as much as we want to help the racetracks and we want to still be there for the fans and provide a service, we want to help the race car drivers. And depending what happens over the next two days, you could see another release next week or the following week that is really beneficial to the racers. So uh, it's going to be a lot going on, uh, but it starts today with uh, some of the releases on on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, my site as to uh, some of the dates that we have. Nice. All right. Well, SprintCarLimited.com, SprintCarLimited.tv. Jeremy, thanks for the time. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be on, and uh, I have no problem admitting that uh, you were part in me stealing your idea. <laughs> Thanks again to Jeremy for his time and make sure to check out SprintCarUnlimited.tv and SprintCarUnlimited.com. We'll be sure to include his streaming shows on the DirtTracker.com daily streaming schedule when he releases his dates very soon. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit DirtTracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.